0: not unto us O Lord not unto us but to your name give glory because of your mercy because of your truth why should the Gentiles say so where is their God but our God is in heaven he does whatever he pleases their idols are silver and gold the work of men's hands they have mouths but they do not speak eyes they have but they do not see they have ears but they do not hear noses they have but they do not smell they have hands but they do not handle Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. All right. we are in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to go from verses 28 through 40 today. This is entitled, David and Goliath, the Valley of Elah, part 3. So, starting in verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle and david said what have i done now is there not a cause then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing and these people answered him as the first ones did now when the words which david spoke were heard they reported them to saul and he sent for them then david said to saul let no man's heart fail because of him your servant will go and fight with this philistine and saul said to david you are not able to go against this philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God moreover david said the lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this philistine and Saul said to david go and the lord be with you so saul clothed david with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head he also clothed them with a coat of mail david fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them and david said to saul i cannot walk with these for i have not tested them so david took them off then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the philistine we are at the valley of elah where david slew goliath The men of the ranks of Israel, both last week and this week, are seen to have focused on the rewards they would get from Saul for defeating the giant. However, none of them felt it was sufficient to chance meeting him. David challenged them on this, showing in this that if the attitude isn't right, then the rewards are of no lasting value. Reading it reminded me of a line out of the movie Field of Dreams. Shoeless Joe remembered what it was like to play it meant more to him than fame or fortune instead he said oh man I did love this game you know I'd have played for food money it was the game the sounds the smells some things cannot be bought with money as we now see in modern baseball money is thrown at the players and they disgrace the game and the heritage any chance they can get therefore it isn't about the game at all it is only about what they can get out of it be it a lot of money or the furtherance of an agenda David didn't care about the offer of Saul. What interested him was the honor of the Lord and the victory of his people over this enemy. Because his heart was right, he was willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. We see that in our verses today, and it gives us a lesson to consider in our own lives. Our text verse comes from Job 13. It is verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In our passage today, David has put his confidence in the Lord. Because this is so, even if he were to die in battle, he could rightfully say that it was the Lord who took his life. Goliath could only be reckoned as the instrument of the Lord's action. But as we will see, David was confident enough in other aspects of what is going on to understand that he would, in fact, prevail. One cannot help but see Christ in this. He knew the outcome of what his earthly life would be, and he plainly told it to the disciples before it came about. And yet in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed that if there was another avenue, he would be willing to take it, but only if it was the will of his father. As Job said, so Jesus could say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. We know that it was the Jews who handed him over to the Romans, and we know that it was the Romans who nailed him to the cross, but we also know that it was the divine will of God that it was to happen this way. David sensed that it was the will of the Lord for him to step forward and to challenge the enemy and he did not resist that will for us today we have the will of the Lord for our lives right before us and yet we act as if we don't know what the will of the Lord for our lives is I don't know what to do I don't know what the Lord is telling me in this and so on we have life to live and then we have the will of the Lord to live our lives He's not here to cross our every T and dot our every I. He is not here to decide for us where to move, what job to take, what person to marry, or what we should have for dinner. His will for our lives is that we live according to his word. As long as we're doing that, and as long as what we intend to do is not contrary to that, then we are to pray about it and go forward with what we wish to do. If it doesn't work out, it does not mean that it wasn't the will of the Lord. It means that the will of the Lord was realized in whatever didn't work out. David is stepping forward doing nothing contrary to the will of God, and he is doing it with the honor of the Lord first and foremost set before him. If we can follow suit in exactly that for each decision that we make, then we will be in fact following the will of the Lord. This is just how it is. Do your part and the Lord will do his part. This is a certain truth which is to be found in his superior word and so let us turn to that precious word once again and may god speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised our first thought today is let no man's heart fail because of him It's verses 28 through 32 as we saw last week David was encouraging the men to fight it is apparent he wasn't looking to go into the battle himself as if he was a great warrior He wasn't being some type of braggadocio either. Rather, his words to those standing by him were for them to think the matter through. In his words, he said, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In saying, What shall be done for the man? David wasn't trying to find out how he might benefit if he fought instead he was scoffing at an earthly reward and noting that it was the armies of the living god that the philistine was defying as this was so goliath was defying the god of those armies in essence david was saying get your priorities right you're not serving for gain you are serving for your people israel and for your god trust in him and he will win the battle for you it is with this thought in mind that we now enter into our text today verse 28 now eliav his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men Eliov is david's oldest brother here called ahiv haggadol or brother the great his name means god is father or maybe my god is father he hears david's words to the men setting up the conflict which next presents itself verse 28 continues and eliav's anger was aroused against david and burned nose of Eliav in David. It is an idiom which means that his anger was aroused against him. The idea is that flames shoot out of his nostrils in anger at the words of David. It is apparent that he feels the sting of his own cowardice. David's words are taken as a rebuke. He is the younger brother. He has not been commissioned for battle. And here he is counseling everyone that they should just trust in the Lord and the battle will be won. Eliav's thoughts are essentially, it's easy for you to say this, you aren't the one facing this giant, you're just a shepherd boy. Verse 28 continues, and he said, why did you come down here? Eliov knows exactly why he came down. It would be for delivering the things he needed for the battle, food, supplies, and so on. He's upset that David is sticking his nose into the affairs of the battle as if he had gone to face this giant day after day. Rather, why don't you just make your delivery and and go back home. To reinforce that, he then says, verse twenty eight continues, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? They almi not tashta me at hatson bamidbar. And upon whom have you abandoned few the sheep the they in the wilderness? The entire phrase is one of derision. First, he speaks of David as if he has cast off his appointed duties, leaving them for someone else to pick up because of his negligence. Upon whom have you abandoned? In essence, Eliav is saying, you are AWOL from your own duties, and in that, you're burdening somebody else. Secondly, those few sheep is a way of deriding David further. Not only did you abandon your duties, they weren't very great duties to begin with. Here we are in the heat of a coming battle and you are out in the fields with a few sheep. And thirdly, in the wilderness is a way of saying that David's tasks are unimportant. He just ambles around with a bunch of sheep that eat thorn bushes in the middle of nowhere. And more, that they are in the middle of nowhere means that in abandoning them, they are either now completely neglected or being watched by someone who probably has no vested interest in their care. Eliav's own cowardice is causing him to lash out at David in an attempt to exalt his station and humiliate that of his younger brother. As this is so, his next words are intended to further reduce him in esteem and show the contrast between the two of them. Verse 28 continues, I know your pride. Ani et zedonecha. I know you're boiling up. The word is zadon it signifies pride arrogance self-importance or something like that it comes from zud which signifies boiling up it is an onomato poetic expression reflecting the sound of boiling zud 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 verse 28 continues and the insolence of your heart et roa levavecha and the ugliness to your heart the word is roa it comes from raa meaning bad or evil and it is variously translated one must consider the mind of the speaker and the intent behind his words. Roah was first used in Genesis 41, verse 19, to describe the thin cows of Pharaoh's dream. Hence, I chose ugliness. Eliav is saying this to set the stage for his next words. Verse 28 continues, for you have come down to see the battle. For to purpose seeing the battle, you have come down. The word ma'an speaks of purpose or intent. Eliav dismisses the fact that David came down for the aid of his brothers and instead imputes to him the wrongdoing of simply desiring to watch the battle. It makes his accusations about leaving the few sheep in the wilderness all the more striking. In essence, Eliav is saying, you know nothing of what we're going through and you can't even attend your own duties. Your only purpose in being here is to watch us suffer through this battle. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? David responds without any aggression, but rather with curiosity as to why his brother spoke so insultingly to him. The Hebrew reads, halo, davar, hu, not word, it. In other words, it was just a mere word. The force of it then is, what have I done wrong? Can I just ask a simple question? And so, verse 30, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. The word "davar" or word, which was just used in the previous verse, is used again three times in this verse. It says, and he said according to this word, and the people returned him a word according to the first word. In other words, nobody has taken offense at his words except his brother, Eliav. The rest of them are perfectly content with his inquiries, and they understand that he is being neither boastful nor arrogant, and so they respond just as the first time he asked someone. Verse 31, now when the words which David spoke were heard, so far there is no recorded word of David asking to fight this giant, and in asking what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, there is no note of him wanting to do so. In fact, it is the obvious question every person in the camp would have asked when a reward was first suggested. Therefore, it is not the words of David wanting to go to battle, but it must be the words of David concerning the uncircumcised Philistine defying the living God. It is certain nobody has spoken this way, and it probably caught the attention of some commander or another within the ranks. Thus the zeal for the honor of the Lord, something Saul had lacked for some time, is what is highlighted here. Therefore, verse 31 continues, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. It doesn't say to Saul, but before Saul. What is probably the case is that the person who heard David speaking came and said, hey, there's this kid in the camp who's speaking about Goliath defying the armies of the living God. Nobody at this point is expecting a young boy to challenge him. Saul is intrigued at the zeal he has heard of. And so he sends to have the source of that zeal brought before him verse 32 then david said to saul let no man's heart fail because of him these words here take us right back to verse 11 when saul and all israel heard these words of the philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid all of israel was dismayed and greatly afraid that fear had not been diminished over the entire 40 days of the philistines challenge David sensed that and now speaks out words of encouragement, saying, Al-yipu lev adam alav. No, let fall heart man upon him. The words could be taken in one of two ways. One, it is speaking of Goliath. No man's heart should fail because of Goliath. Or two, it is speaking of each person. No man's heart should fail within him. I would say the context looks to the latter. Verse 11 shows they were all afraid the next words in this verse will speak of the philistine thus setting a contrast between him and each person in israel thus the paraphrase of the cev seems likely even if tending towards humorous they say this philistine shouldn't turn us into cowards another interesting point is that the words man and men are used about 20 times in this chapter most of the uses are ish meaning an individual male person However, in this verse only, the word Adam is used. It signifies a human being. One can almost sense the purpose for the change in wording. The Lord promised to redeem Adam, or man. Israel needs to essentially be redeemed from the threat of this giant, terrifying foe. It is as if David is stating that the humanity of Israel should take courage in each heart. The foe can be vanquished, and it will be right now because, verse 32 continues, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David, without any chance for further questioning, immediately puts forth his offer. In other words, he was never asked what do you suggest, or how would you handle the matter. Rather, he accepts the challenge without any conditions, expectations, or demands for assistance. What he has done is to set himself apart from not only every other man in Israel whose hearts had failed them but above the Philistine as well if David has elevated himself above the Philistine and none other in Israel was willing to challenge him then by default David is not only set apart from all of Israel but he is above all of Israel as well it is the unexpected twist one finds in Scripture The things that seem lowly and despised are those things which are placed at the head of the procession. To Saul, it is such a shocking proposal that it meets immediate resistance. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Don't worry about that gigantic Philistine. The situation looks dire. Yes, it looks grim. And that guy certainly looks really mean. But he is nothing before the living God. The speck you see, which is this Philistine, he will be gone with less effort than a nod when i am through no more will he be seen trust that the lord will bring us victory by his great power we shall see the end of this philistine a glorious moment in israel's history a marvelous part of redemptive stories unfolding scene our second thought today is go and the lord be with you it's verses 33 through 40. verse 33 and saul said to david you're not able to go against this philistine to fight with him This clearly shows that David's previous words in the camp were never expected to be taken as a sign of personal boasting or challenge. He was simply saying that the battle is the Lord's, and with the Lord in the mix, it could not end in defeat. When David was brought from the camp, Saul was certainly anticipating him to provide some type of suggested military strategy that could win the battle. Not this saul demonstrating a lack of faith in the proposal has failed to lift his eyes to the lord and acknowledge the possibility of success all he sees is the impossibility of the situation as he says verse 33 going on for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth here saul calls goliath ish milchama or man of war it is the same expression used of david in the previous chapter Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, ish milchama, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. The difference between the two is age and experience. Here, Saul calls David a na'ar, or youth. However, Goliath has been a man of war from his na'ur, or youth, implying that he is aged and seasoned in battle, neither of which could be applied to David. Or so he thought. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. The words used to in this verse are not appropriate. David was a shepherd and he remained a shepherd to this day. He says, "Roe ha'ya Avdecha Le'aviv Batson. Shepherd has been your servant to his father among the sheep. He places himself among the helpless, as anyone who has ever been around sheep can testify although not evident by these words alone by taking the rest of the passage with his words here it is an implicit note that israel is being equated with sheep it is something that david will say again of israel much later in his life after he sins against the lord so much was his care for his people that he put his own family forward in exchange for them it says in 2 samuel 24 Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. In his words to Saul now, he is plainly stating his profession, one which ordinarily would seem dull and carefree to a warrior, tending to helpless sheep. It was actually not always dull and carefree. Verse 34 continues, and when a lion or a bear came, and came the lion and the bear. The definite articles are expressive. David is seeing the past action in his mind and is relaying it to Saul. And he is elevating the danger. The sense of the Hebrew is along would come the lion and even the bear. These were in fact large and ferocious enemies faced by shepherds. Here, David speaks of the Ari, or lion. That comes from Ara, meaning to gather or pluck. The idea is that the lion will come and forcefully take what it wishes. He then heightens the danger to him by mentioning the dove or bear. That comes from Davav, which signifies to glide over or move gently. And that is how bears are seen to move. If you've ever seen one on the hillside, you can see that it looks like they're gliding, gliding with resolve and intent. Both animals are purposeful. They smell their prey and come in to take what they desire. What would normally be expected is a reduction in the size of the flock and a fattening of the belly of the lion or bear. But David claims his pasturing was an exception to that rule. Verse 34 continues, and took a lamb out of the flock. Not only were the lion and the bear threatening the flock, they had actively stolen an animal out of it. Under any such circumstances, one would expect a report to the owner that one of the sheep had been carried away. That would be the end of it. But david shows that his care of the flock included placing himself in harm's way at times verse 35 i went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth the words here are all in the singular making the statement complicated scholars just debate all kinds of things about it he spoke of the lion and not or the bear several views have been proposed as bears and lions don't search for prey together It is suggested that one, David is referring to individual accounts that happened at two different times. Two, he is now only speaking of one of the two accounts, meaning the lion, or three, this clause is speaking of the lion and the next clause refers to the bear. I would disagree with all of those. I would suggest that he is speaking in general terms. We don't know if he met only one lion or four in the past years. The same is true with the bear. He is simply saying that any time a lamb was plucked out of the flock, he would put his own life on the line and go after whatever did the plucking, strike it, and deliver the lamb. One can see what a good shepherd he was. Indeed, he set the tone for what lay ahead in the coming of Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Then the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. As for David, whether he used a shepherd's staff or a sling and a stone, he would strike the beast until it let go of the lamb, which he would then retrieve from the beast. However, at times, there would be more to the battle than just that. Verse 35 continues, And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Whatever animal would turn and charge him, he would then show no mercy. He would engage in close quarters battle, grab it by its beard, meaning its neck or its snout, and strike it until it was dead. The words of this verse take us back to Eliav's resentment of David. David casually mentions his encounter with these beasts as if it was routine. He may have taken it as normal and expected behavior, but few else would. His brothers probably looked at him as an anomaly. He fought even for the weak lambs. He pursued even the greatest warriors of the wilderness. When the lamb was safe, he would let the warrior go home wounded and hungry. But when the beast attacked him, he would ensure it never came his way again. David was only a keeper of the flock. And yet he kept the sheep as he would tend to his own family finally Eliav and all the other brothers saw samuel pass them by in order to anoint david king over israel if one can't see the parallels to christ in this they are not looking very closely the otherwise seemingly unremarkable man is found to be the most remarkable of them all As a sort of confirmation that he was speaking in general terms concerning any and all battles he faced while shepherding, he again says, verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear. There is a stress sadly missing in the translation. Gam et ha'ari, gam ha'dov hika deha." Also the lion, also the bear has struck your servant. He confirms that when there was a ferocious foe to face, He did not back down or fret, but rather fought with fury until he had finished the fight. All of this is given now to make the parallel to Goliath obvious. Verse 36 continues, and this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them. The words bear a stress not normally translated. It says, the Philistine, the uncircumcised. David is saying that he is not of the people of Israel, nor is he of the covenant of circumcision. He's double unclean. It then explains why he brought up both the lion and the bear and spoke of the battle with them in the singular. Both are unclean animals and together they represent the single man, the Philistine, the uncircumcised. He will be Keahad- mehem, as one they. David then explains the importance of this. Remembering that he was just referring to being a shepherd helps keep this in its proper perspective David was willing to risk his life for the sheep of his father The obvious reason is that they were his father's sheep He was not waging a war to go out and kill beasts in the field rather he was defending the property of his father David saw the importance of this because he was entrusted with that responsibility He had the ability to do this, and so to not do it would be to demonstrate an unfaithful shepherd in the abilities that he had been given. He has now been placed in a new position by the guiding hand of the Lord. He has been sent to a battle where the lines are drawn up and where there is a great foe facing the sheep of his heavenly father. Deuteronomy 32 established this fact for all of Israel to understand. Speaking of the Lord, it says, is he not your father? who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? If the armies of Israel could not face this foe, then they were sheep in need of protection and defense. David understood this, and he saw clearly that the responsibility which he bore in the wilderness had led him to greater responsibility. In this state of mind, he then says, verse 36 going on, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Haref ma Arkot Elohim Hayim, for he has reproached ranks of God living. David sees the people of Israel as the people of the living, meaning the one true God. All other gods are dead idols. Just as the sheep were his fathers, so the ranks of Israel are the Lords. The livelihood of his father was bound up in David's hand in his humble job of caring for the sheep. The honor of the Lord is now bound up in his hand as the defender of the people of the Lord. David could do no less, and rather only more, to defend what is of the highest value of all. And so that asks us. In fact, it begs us to stop and to consider this from our own place and our own position. What task, job, or profession has been set before you? Is it seemingly menial and inconsequential as David's was? If so, do you treat it as such, or do you do your best at it despite the lack of note it brings to the eyes of others? This isn't just a sermon pat on the back for the lowly masses. I, Charlie Garrett, I clean bathrooms, I pick up trash, I cut lawns, I take out garbage, and I shake off giant heavy floor mats daily, six days a week. Last week when my back hurt so bad I couldn't pick up a cup, I went down there, I did it anyway. They said, oh, you don't have to do that today. I said, this is my job. I'm doing it for the Lord. This is my station, along with preaching, and so I do it to the best of my ability. Who is it that we are working to please? Ultimately, it is the Lord. David is about to move from a lowly shepherd to a noted warrior, but he is still the same David with the same heart for the Lord that he possessed all along. This is why Samuel anointed him, and this is why the Lord called him a man after my own heart. We will only be recognized as such if we include the Lord in every aspect of our lives, be it pulling electric wires through an old decrepit house in Oklahoma for $12 an hour or trading stocks in New York for $10 million a year. Let us include the Lord in what we do and we will be pleasing to him as we do it. But David continues his lesson to us. He's not only living by faith in his ability to perform for the Lord, but in the Lord's ability to perform through him. That is clearly evidenced by the words of verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. The word paw in Hebrew is literally hand. David uses the term "miad" or from hand, saying from hand the lion and from hand the bear. But more, he says that it was the Lord who had delivered him. Though in the previous verse he said he struck and killed them, here he acknowledges that it was only possible because of the Lord. There's no contradiction in this. The Lord chose the timing of David's birth. He chose the way he would be woven together. He chose every aspect of David's life, his abilities, his strengths, all of it. None of it happened apart from the Lord, and therefore every thing that was accomplished by David is rightly credited to the Lord verse 37 going on he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine David now repeats the term miyad, or from hand here he is again equating his encounters with the two animals the lion and the bear with the one man the Philistine and in this he again notes that the Lord's hand of deliverance will be with him at this time the fact is that David could not see two seconds into the future He may have stepped forward and been sliced in half by Goliath in the first moment of the battle, but it is his confidence in the abilities that the Lord has given him, of which he possessed, that he knew the outcome of what would occur. The thought never crossed his mind that he would be defeated because he knew who he was. He knew his capabilities and he knew where they came from. And finally, he knew that this Philistine had defied Israel. Goliath would not survive because the Lord would not allow him to survive. David rightly placed his earthly station alongside the knowledge that the Lord would protect his own honor. In doing that, he knew that he would be the instrument that the Lord would use to make this come about. Saul understood this attitude of David, and he accepted the premise that it was valid. Verse 37 going on, and Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. If the agreement that the contest was as stated before by Goliath, meaning the loser would become the servants of the victor, and there's nothing to suggest it is otherwise, Saul was tying up the fortunes of the entire nation with his consent. But for a period of 40 days, the lines had drawn up and nothing had arisen to change the situation. The army could not stay there indefinitely, nor could they simply retreat without losing land. Saul understood this and agreed, accompanied by a blessing, Lech. V'yehovah ye ye go, and Yehovah be with you. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. The word translated here as armor is something other than armor. It is a garment that would go under the coat of mail. It would more appropriately be called military dress. The fact that David could fit into this garment of Saul's shows that he was well grown, even if he was still a youth. However, Saul is elsewhere described as being a head taller than the rest of the people. So the garment could, to some extent, be adjusted by tightening it. Thus, neither the age nor stature of David can be properly determined from this verse. Despite that, along with this garment, it says, verse 38 continues, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. Saul is a man of battle, and he understands what is needed for an ordinary battle. Without these, a soldier would be wholly unprepared for going into a skirmish. He doesn't stop to consider, however, that David never had such things while tending the flocks, and so he prepared him as he knew best. Along with that, it says that, verse 39, David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. The garments, coat of mail, helmet, and sword would have come to a substantial amount of weight, and more they would take time to get used to like a person who didn't normally wear shoes would have to get used to doing so. In David's case, he had not been conditioned or trained in their use, and they only made it more difficult for him. He found this out in his attempt to test them. It didn't work. Therefore, verse 39 continues, And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. The fact that David was willing to try the protective clothing on shows that he was willing to do so if they were amenable to him, But they were not however he was trained to wage battle with beasts with much less and he was willing to do so again as he had done before there appears to be a deeper meaning here however David uses the word Nassau to prove or to test it is the same word that was used when Israel tested the Lord at the waters of Massah in Exodus 17 the people almost immediately failed to trust the Lord that he would provide after they had been brought out of Egypt they faced a little bit of hardship and they asked, is the Lord among us or not? Later in Deuteronomy 6, Moses warned the people, you shall not tempt, that word, Nasa, the Lord your God, as you tempted, Nasa, him, at Masa. The account here says, Kilo nisiti," for no, I have tested. He is certainly referring to the implements of war, but he has already said that it is the Lord who would deliver him. It appears that this word is being used to show that David will not test the Lord by wearing implements of warfare that he had not brought with him, and because he has said that the Lord would deliver him. And so he laid aside the warrior's garments and decided that he could do better without them. In this, we see a veiled picture of works versus faith. Man's efforts, seen in the making and wearing of the implements of battle, are set in opposition to David's faith. For this greatest of all battles he rejects the garments of man's work and simply walks out to the battle in faith of the lord's provision in that walk of faith he then provides for himself the simplest of all weapons they are things he would have used in his time alone in the wilderness with his own flock to tend to verse 40 then he took his staff in his hand the first implement of battle a makel or staff it comes from an unused root signifying to germinate Thus it's just a staff. It isn't anything especially shaped. In other words, the Lord provided it from the ground. David picked it up and probably used it as it was. It felt right to him, and so he carried it when he went out to shepherd the flock. Next, verse 40 continues and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. The next implements of battle, Hamishah haluke abani min hanahal, five smooth stones from the wadi. Although David probably wasn't thinking on these lines, the number five in the Bible signifies grace. The adjective chaluk, or smooth, is only found here in the whole Bible. It comes from a word signifying to divide. That comes from a root signifying smooth. The reason for this is that smooth stones were used as lots. Thus, things were divided into portions through the lot. The word eben, or stone, comes from the root of bana, or to build as stones are used for building things. These are said to have been taken from the Nahal or Wadi. A Nahal is a stream that flows at various times, but not at all times. However, it explains the stones being smooth. David would have selected smooth stones for the greatest possible accuracy. Five being selected was a note of prudence. If one missed, he would have backup, even if he felt it wasn't necessary. The word Nahal, or wadi, comes from Nahal, which signifies an inheritance. It should be noted that the staff and the stones, including their smoothness, are products of nature provided by the Lord. David uses what the Lord provided. The only part of the weapons that were made by him was the sling itself. Fanciful explanations of him picking up five stones because Goliath was one of five giants in the area, based on 2 Samuel 21, stretched the narrative unrealistically but it does make for a good sermon. There is one foe, and the agreement is that one side or the other would submit at the loss of their champion. David got these five smooth stones, verse 40 continues, and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. Along with his staff, he had a shepherd's bag. It was a simple bag, probably used to carry around some food and whatever else he thought he would need while out in the wilderness. It then further says, Ube yakut. And in a pouch. What this probably means is that it went into a particular pouch of the shepherd's bag. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I've given you 10,000 pieces of information so far. It's all mechanical information, and you have to keep asking yourself, why is the Lord telling us all of this? Because every single word that we have gone through in our final sermon is going to be explained. So I want you to think, why does it say a shepherd's bag? And why does it say a pouch? Why would he do that? And why five stones? What is the Lord telling us? Think of that. We'll find out in two more weeks. (laughs) This word, Yalkut, is only found here in the Bible. It is from Lakat, meaning to gather. It is a particular place for these gathered items. Verse 40 continues, And his sling was in his hand. The kela, or sling, could be a terrifying weapon. In Judges 20, it says, Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss not only was it highly accurate with practice but it was essentially lethal when the projectile was properly placed due to its accuracy and lethality other than the time it took to gain enough speed to hurl it is for all intents and purposes as lethal as a small handgun and equally as accurate in the case of my pitiful shooting skills if you know me Move if you see me pull out a gun. A practice slinger would be way, way more accurate. Goliath brought a sword and a spear to what is essentially a gunfight. That generally doesn't work out too well for the one without a gun. David's military prowess, even at this early point in his life, is evident. He used what he was acquainted with, and he did not burden himself with anything superfluous. Verse 40 finishes with, and he drew near to the Philistine. What is evident is that David crossed the ravine and the wadi to the other side while Goliath waited. David went on the offensive in the land held by the enemy. Anybody thinking what I'm thinking? He has gone forward unafraid to a place no other person of Israel dared to go. It's a tense spot to end a sermon, but end it we must. It is with great hope and anticipation that we will all be here to participate in next week's sermon together. Until then, remember the thought which opened us today. It is a thought which is based on two simple premises. The first is that in order to be right with God, we must be living in accord with his will. The second is that in order to be living in accord with his will, we must know what his will is. And that can only happen if we pick up this book, read it. And apply it in its proper context to our lives it is the Word of God that reveals the will of God and of that will the first aspect of it that we absolutely must get right is that of Jesus Christ if we fail to come to God through him then nothing else we do in accord with Scripture will make any difference at all it will make zero there are atheists out there and I assure you this is true They know the Bible far better than most Christians. They are well-versed in Scripture, and yet it does them no good at all. It does them no good because they have not applied the precept of Jesus Christ in faith to their lives. You can know all the Scripture in the world and not have faith in Christ, and you are no closer to God than the greatest heathen that ever lived on this planet. David had faith in the Messiah because the Word said he would come. This is why David was considered such a man of God It wasn't because he faithfully observed the law. Look at his life. We know he didn't, Mm. but because he anticipated what the law promised. This is what we must do as well. In this, our faith in God will be properly directed faith. In the life of David, we see types and pictures and lessons which direct us to Christ. Let us pay heed to what we see in this, and then let us direct our attention to the one who has come, but who David only anticipated. If God was pleased with David's anticipatory faith in the coming Redeemer, just how pleased indeed he will be in our faith concerning the Redeemer who has come, Jesus Christ. He's done it all for us. He's lived out the perfect life that you and I cannot live. That's what the synoptic gospels in particular are given for. We've got the law of Moses given. We've got Israel's failure for almost 1,500 years. And then one steps onto the stage and it records his birth being of God. Therefore, he didn't inherit sin. And it records his life, that he did everything according to the will of his father, meaning he never sinned. And then he gave that precious, beautiful life up for our sin, yours and mine. This is what God did in Jesus Christ. The love of God which knows no bounds in the world except the unrepentant heart. And when I say unrepentant, that means somebody that has heard of Jesus and has not turned his heart to Jesus. The person that wants to be right with God just simply reaches out and receives what God has done. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins, implying that we are a sinner. Christ was buried, telling us that he really died. Christ rose again, proving that he is God and that our sin is forever in the grave And he was without sin. That's what that simple gospel message is telling us. And all it asks us to do is say, I want that for myself. If you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the wonderful message of God found in Jesus Christ. And I would pray that you would take it today. Don't wait for the final sermon because we may not make it to there. The Lord may come. I may get squashed on the road. You don't know what's coming, but there is a need for you to call on Jesus now. And I assure you that the final sermon will show you so many pictures of Jesus that you are not going to believe it. You are not going to believe it. Hang on to your hats button before that happens. Call on Christ now. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Do you know that every Monday when I go down to the mall, I I do my morning commentary, which right now are in the book of Revelation. I do my morning commentary and I do a couple more things until the sunrise happens and I take a photo of the sunrise and post it for people on Facebook. And then after that, I rush down to the mall and I do my morning job. I take out the garbage. I pick up all the trash. I shake those miserable. You know why I shake those out? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stop what I'm talking about one thing and go to another. These people that work in 7-Eleven, then you got the big floor mats when you walk in, one in front of the door and one after the door. And for years, they, the, you know, the employees there are told you got to take these and shake them out once a day. And so what do they do? They grab the floor mat and they carry it right out in front of the, you know, where the, the step down is and they shake it right there. So everybody just steps in and it brings it right back in. Right. And so I finally said listen, I'll take care of this from now on out. And so I walk over to the fence and I shake them off the fence. It gives me a little you know, place to shake it on. And I carry those stupid things back and I put it in there because people don't honor the Lord with their work. Anyway, that's what I do. And when I'm there at the mall and taking out the garbage and cleaning the bathrooms, I say these words every single Monday. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Because I'm going into a battle on Monday morning. As soon as I get back, I'm going to be typing a sermon for you all. And that is my weekly battle. It is the most debilitating day of the week for me. I go to bed so tired, I don't go upstairs. He sometimes feeds me at the desk if I'm not done. And then when I'm done, I just go lay on the couch and I'm out. Sundays are the most tedious, I'm sorry, yes, Sundays are the most tedious days. That's the video work and it's very tedious. But Monday sermon typing is the most brutal day of the week for me. And the Lord, I ask him to bless my fingers for the battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. David, the man of God. Next week is 1 Samuel 17. It's verses 41 through 58. Compared to David, as a soldier, Goliath was blah. That's for sure. It's entitled David and Goliath, the Valley of Elah. Part four. Thank you, Jay. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. And he has promised to fight the battles you face for you. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Talking about the battles to be faced, Lothar emailed me, and he's really suffering from his cancer, and he's to the point where he needs to take morphine. And he acknowledges the Lord all the way through it. This guy is so dependent on the Lord knowing he's not going to make it much longer but he is putting his trust in the Lord the battle is won for him already he will rise again David and Goliath the Valley of Allah part 3 now Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men without fear and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said why have you come down here and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle to be a witness And David said what have I done now is there not a cause if so tell how then he turned from him toward another and the same thing said and these people answered him as the first ones did the same message they spread now when the words which David spoke were heard they reported them to Saul and he sent for him the king's interest he had incurred then David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine and he will be done in and Saul said to David You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him I tell you the truth for a youth you are and he a man of war from his youth But David said to Saul your servant used to keep his father's sheep I admit and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it ever so easily. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, this big oafish clod, will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, it is true, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed them with a coat of mail for the battle that lay just ahead. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. He was no toff. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had only five small stones he took and his sling was in his hand not a sight very mean and he drew near the philistine lord god turn our hearts to be obedient to your word give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you may we carefully heed each thing we have heard yes lord god may our hearts be faithful and true and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful blessing of this passage. It's so beautiful. Even without knowing the pictures of Christ, it is just a wonderful passage. We get inspired by it. We are built up in the faith of ourselves because of the faith of others that have gone before us. It's just, it's glorious to be a part of your living and active word in our lives. And I would pray that more people would want to spend time in your word, to get to know you personally, to apply its precepts in their lives and to live holy lives and get away from what's happening in this nation and in this world. Seems unlikely at this point, and we're probably going to be out of here soon enough. But until then, help us just to be faithful witnesses of the glory of Jesus Christ, the majesty, and the, the beauty that he presented to the world when he came. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.